Welcome back to the Michael Anthony Show for what could be considered a Christmas special of sorts. We're awaiting company who's yet to arrive. Ignorantly late, if we're being honest. I'm all for the uh, the two or three minutes, but 24. It's just appalling how the listener's doing. Obviously, I didn't take the show that seriously this year, but intend on doing so um, in 2024. That's not to say that it still wasn't, for me, the best show in the continent in 2023. I mean, where is this cunt? No, but yeah, um, Christmas is upon us. The most embarrassing celebration of inauthenticity there is. Barbethes, which you get very used to hearing about if you live in somewhere like London. Um, I'm going to a birthday, or even worse, I'm going to a birthday. The Dublinite was relocated. Um, and if anything... Um, Sorry, I'm just receiving an email off this ignorant bastard. If anything tells you that you don't know people in a genuine manner, um, it is your over-frequenting of birthdays. We're with someone very interesting today. Someone who has experience to the highest degree, in one of the world's most consumed distractions. That being football, the sport that's been to an extent ignored by the MA show this year. An interesting guy, um, probably by the masses, a misunderstood guy. But someone who's full of self-belief, positive psychology, and fun. Someone who I admire. And someone who I think isn't finished. Uh, Not just in the limelight, but in the realms of serious football management, one of, admittedly, um, a damaged art form, but one of the most important art forms of the 20th and very early 21st century, the Cloughs, the Sackies, the Mourinho's, obviously the Ferguson's, these aren't just sports coaches, these are men who have a story to tell and choose leadership um, as the way of telling that. It's getting to the point where I don't know if he is showing up. Not not a guy for lateness. Don't believe in it. Just like a truth behind it and, and inaccuracy, but Jesse, how are you? Thanks. How you doing? Good, sorry I'm late. Uber? Um Tube to taxi. What are you doing in town? Um, a few meetings with some clubs and some media and different things. So M- meetings about possible. Yeah, let's see. Possible roles. Let's see. And you're Irish. I'm an Irishman. Yeah. Where are you Dublin. from? Dublin. Okay. Yeah. My uh, daughter's boyfriend is Irish from Dublin. Pull that just a little bit close to because okay. we're not using these. Because okay. sm- you see, it and test it out there. Go on, speak. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there you, you hear go. Me? You good? Yes, yeah, so we'll okay. begin. Will we? May as well just crack into it. Okay, Old let's get go. Let's, let's let's get started. As you pointed out, your daughter's boyfriend is from Dublin. Yes, he's um, born from Russian parents, but born in Dublin. He's he's Irish. He's full blown Irish. And how do you find as a leader, fatherhood? 
Yeah. Um, much more difficult than coaching. <laughs> are you a strict? Are you a strict father? Like I you, wouldn't you get, say. I I don't think they would say I'm strict, but you know, I I probably feel like if we if if they aren't contributing to the family in the way that we want to, then that I want to, I guess that that then sometimes I can be a little hard on. If someone's dating your daughter, though, do you sit them down and give them the whole no. what are your intentions? Type? No, 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 no. I my first of all, my daughter is a very independent, strong woman, and so I'm smart enough to know to stay out of stay out of the way. <laughs> it's a remarkably interesting life. Obviously, a lot of listeners to this know you as yeah. the the former Leeds manager, Salzburg manager, first American coach to win a game of the Champions League, the Leipzig role as well. But football, football wasn't a thing in your household growing up whatsoever. No. They didn't really know the sport existed. You went around to your cousin's house when you were five, and he was kicking a circular ball into a goal, and you go, "What is this?" He said, "Football," and you ended up before the age of fifty managing uh, one of the biggest clubs in Europe, which is pretty remarkable personal life story. Considering there's so many people in Europe who've committed and their family have committed their entire lives to this game, I will never get close to a position of that magnitude. When you see people who stigmatize American managers, do you think there's also an element of, we've given this much, my granddad was a West Ham fan, he was tattooed, my uncle was a hooligan, he was fighting Millwall fans, and he lost his life underneath the stands. Why does this guy deserve that position of power? The same role that Clough had, Don Revy had, a massive job in the overall kind of scope of association football. Is it's not really xenophobia as much as it is just a personal kind of envy of one's personal psychology that can lead them to a position of power that they could never get. Yeah, I mean, I don't look at it that way. I understand that the game is so deep rooted, not just in England, by the way. You know, in every country that I've coached in, in Europe, there's a deep passion for the sport. Um, Why do you think the English were the most the American guy as opposed to Germany and Austria? I think that um, they're not quite appreciative of our history in the game, and they think that we don't have the same depth of knowledge that, that they have here. Is that but based I, off the old superpower rivalry between the two countries? Who Who is the greatest country in the world? Formerly England became America, became allies in war. May, I mean, listen, There's you would have to go into some deep historical references to understand exactly. All I would say is, you know, I, I've been on this life journey to, to, to experience things for, you know, not just football, like, because when I do these jobs, it's not just about coaching the team. It's about understanding the culture. It's about understanding the language. It's about understanding the league, the players, the fans, the history of the club. And so my drive is to represent wherever I work and to work with the people at the highest level that we possibly can to create success. I'm hired to do a job. That's the, it's a job, you know, and, and people want to, make it more magnificent and magnify it to be something more than than what it is. But in the end... It's a glorious I, job, though, isn't it, though? Yeah, yeah, be, I, I love to it. To be the leader of a football team with the stands and choir singing names, representing that city, being the decision maker with that much responsibility that isn't necessarily corporate but presented via physical activity. Yeah, I mean, but again, it's... it's I'm not... I, don't 
it's I'm tasked with doing a specific job and that is to help the players and the club at that time to achieve success through the way that we believe in leadership in football in everything and so I try to do it holistically I try to I try to understand the places that I represent I it's why I learn languages it's why I invest in entirely in in everything that I do. And it's why I don't go from job to job to job to job. It's why I, I plan carefully with the, about the people I work with and the jobs that I take because I don't need to work. I love to work. And, and that I think is key for me. As somebody who's in that industry, you look, you look at those kind of mid to lower table Premier League teams, the kind of Everton's, the Leeds, these jobs, you sign three year contracts, but it's so unlikely based off expectation that that's actually going to occur. Like, if you look at your Leeds job, you go in, you, you lose the first two games, and then, what, you beat Wolves, Norwich and Watford, two good draws, then you lost to, what was it, Arsenal, City and Chelsea, then two draws, two wins, beat Brentford on the last day. You couldn't really have done much more. The first two games were due to you being new to the club. And then the next season, start well, and then have a slump and forward, ended up in four wins and 20. But, like... How can you really stay in those jobs? It's essentially impossible. Do you kind of know that taking it and you have to put on the front of the media saying, I'll do the three years? Everyone, unless it goes extremely well, the Unai Emery kind of situation currently, or even the Moyes, but even he had to come and go with West Ham. Do you kind of know taking it that this is a stepping stone and put my name into the bracket of Premier League management, but it won't last the three years of my contract? Or do you have to hypnotize yourself into the most positive version of the outcome? So I have, behind the scenes, I have my own team. I have a data team. I have a, right now I have an AI team. And I, and, a, and, and then I have an agency. And, and I'm always doing research on different clubs to see what their transfer politics have been, what kind of impact that's had on the team. How do they play? Can we translate the team that, that they have into something that resembles what I think is important? And before I went to Leeds, I was told by my data team that within three years, Leeds had an 84% chance of getting relegated. The sinking sound of despair smell of dread in the air I'm head to toe in my own fear I'm going to die and I need to cry ah. So I knew going into it that especially at the time that I went into it that I knew there was a high level of probability that we were going to face relegation often and I wasn't afraid of that you know, I, I believe that Victor Orta and the people involved at the club were the right people. I had been in contact with them for, for uh, many seasons or, or many months. Um, and we felt that we could transfer the team into something that would resemble what I thought about football, what they thought about football, what the, what the community demanded. Um, and so, uh, but... All of that knowing that failure was more than a probability. <laughs> and now that being said, we stayed up in, in, in my first year. And in my second year, 
I was sacked at 17th, but if you went by match day 20, we would have actually been in 13th place if all the t- we were one game less played than the rest. Do you think it would have kept them up if you stayed? Yeah, I think we would. Because you knew the squad and the new guy yeah, coming in. I, I believe that we were, and actually the trajectory of the team after the World Cup was by all metrics in an extremely positive direction. And, and internally, we knew that. Internally, we, it's funny. I had the day I got sacked. I had a leadership council meeting with the with the leaders in the team, and we were discussing a few different topics. And Luke Ailing said to me, "Jesse, we just need to stay calm. Like when you came in last year, we have plenty of time. We're in a good direction. We've got this." And I said, "I said to him literally that day, I agree with you, but I think we have time. But I don't know that I have time." And then that afternoon, I was sacked. When a manager gets sacked, you never really hear about it um, from their perspective. You only hear the media version. Do you plead your case? Like, is it like getting broken up with by the love of your life when you're 19 and you can tell by her that she's, she's not touching you in the same way? Do you walk yeah. into the boardroom <laughs> and know? I don't know that that analogy is. Do you, but know I understand what Do you walk in and you know, this is bad news. She's shivering a bit. Well, Victor Orta and. Or do they Ang- just go through the agent? And Angus Kinnear, no, we're, we're loitering. Uh, on the outside of my office and I could tell by their body language and the fact that they weren't just normally they'd walk right in and say hello I could I could tell so I said hey guys and then they they walk as where they were walked in and I said so it's done and they and they said yeah right and so yeah of course at that moment then did you say why no I knew I knew why I knew why and I'm not going to tell you why, but I knew why. <laughs> so results or yeah, I mean there were certain people involved that that had been against me for a while, you know, and so. Um, but we were aligned for. I mean, most most for most of the time, I think the way that we worked together was outstanding. In terms of the MLS standard on a global scale, you could probably argue that the standard of football in America isn't rising but do you think that the likes of you are sacrificial lambs that will normalize the fact that a u.s manager can come into the premier league and maybe you'll be a 60 year old legend and won't get sacked from an everton job due to the fact that your results and the fall of your results are overrated due to your nationality but do you think that yeah people like you bob bradley before you just put the foot in the door to actually normalize the concept of the the u.s football manager were you a bit too early it also didn't help that there was a sitcom taking the piss out of the concept of an american simultaneously (laughs) i mean like jesse marsh kept leads up you hear nothing about it. a tough job especially when you're following a legend um of football not just leads that bielsa was with a certain style of play but you were tasked with one job when you came in keep the club in the premier league when harry redknapp used to do that or brian robson did it at west brom they were fucking geniuses yours was deleted instantly it was like your failure was waited for yeah um so i don't i wouldn't describe it that way i would uh, and i don't think about my um i've said this often don't please don't use me as a role model or or an example or put the weight of the expectation of u.s football soccer on my shoulders because I don't I don't need that and I don't want that. But you not accidentally take it. Well you you do listen, I, I followed Bob, you know, and listen, I'm here because Bob introduced us. Yeah, right? Bob's and, a great, great yeah, guy. and and I can tell he likes you and I can already see why. <laughs> um but um you know I did follow him and 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 I and I tried to learn from him and what he went through uh to when I came here. But 
in the end, I was just going to Leeds to do the best job that I could for that club and that 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 fan base and everything and that team. And so I understand that there's always going to be comparisons. And when you get to this level of managing, then there's always um, attention and expectation and a lot that comes with that. But in the end, again, this is a job and my job, my, my focus is to do the best I can to help the team. So as a Bradleyite, uh, someone who learned off Bob, you were in Princeton, uh, Ivy League. What's going on? Did you drop something? Dropped a cap to my bottle. Uh, yeah, so you, you you meet Bob Bradley at Princeton. You go to university on a, on a football scholarship. No, at the Ivy League schools, you cannot get uh, scholarships. So how did you end up going to? What you can F. Scott Fitzgerald's university. Yeah, I mean, I was a good student, but one of the things that the being a legacy or being involved in a sport can do is help you with the admissions process so without bob's assistance i i probably am not getting admitted into Princeton. how did you know bob before princeton i we used to have something called the the olympic development program and so it wasn't like it is now where it's advanced to club football all throughout the the country and that there's scouts everywhere you made your city team then you made your state team then you made your regional team and then you tried out for the national team Bob, I was I played for the Midwest national team because I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Or regional team because I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And Bob was for my age group the coach of the East regional team. So we played on Thanksgiving weekend. So Thanksgiving for all those uh, American it's listeners. Great fun. I spent a Thanksgiving in America Good. once, and we shot guns out the back. And- <laughs> And the drunk granddad told me that guns should be legal and why would we stab ourselves like all you people do in Ireland and the UK? It was a very interesting weekend. I don't know that you should stab or shoot anyone. but um, And so I played against his team and I, I played quite well over this weekend. And then he, he had, and I had, they had a list on my on our different programs, like what our grade point average and all this because it was a lot of college recruiting. Yeah. And so I had good grades and then he... he, he How recruited. good were you at football? Yeah, I mean... Could you have played championship? Yeah, I could play championship. Could you have played... I couldn't low, have played Premier League. Derby 08, no? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. So there's that was, famous clip you're sticking the foot in on Beckham. Yes, is I was that good because, at that. Yeah, is that because was he was... The, that. Is, is that because you always had this fight because your old man was a factory worker that no one's better than us, that when you saw the superstar that was David Beckham, is there a link between the fact that you went on to be a Premier League manager and a Champions League manager to the fact that you were the guy who was kicking Beckham in the stomach when he got past you? Is that a personality trait that you'd recommend for people? <laughs> don't accept anyone's better. Please. If David Beckham's on the pitch, I'm going to kick him and Please. I'm going to square off with him. I don't recommend anyone to be like me. <laughs> well, why, but I, I, I was Listen, the Beckham thing was he had gotten a couple shots in on me and I had even said something to the referee like, hey, are, are, are you going to do anything about this? And I could tell that he wasn't. And so the next play, David, David inadvertently slapped me a little bit, and so I lost my mind and I kicked him. But I'm I I was I am built with a little bit of fearlessness. Like I'm not afraid of being vulnerable. I'm not afraid of being in difficult situations. I actually thrive in that, and I like to be in pressure situations. I like to be challenged. I like to learn new languages, and and I like to be in interviews where they they put my ass on the wall. So this is good. Um, but you know, in the end, I think that if you want to excel in this business and this, and then in this life, you have to go after it. Like one thing is for sure. 
I will never regret being more aggressive than being more passive. So I, I typically am, that's typically my, my way of thinking about football. That's my way of thinking about life. And that's the way I, I do what I do. But you know that Mourinho element of, let's say, targeting five or six people in the dressing room, what he traditionally calls the untouchables. You can see Marco Manarassi when he leaves Inter Milan, he, he views him as a father. Was there an argument that you were so focused on your own kind of career and ability to survive that you couldn't create the relationship with the players where they, they die for you? You're systematic, you're about your own career, you have the data, guys. But do you have that emotional humanity that's, that's required actually, to be that's, the top tier of That's management? what I'm more about, actually. When I was a player, I was, I was only about winning. And when I'm, as a coach, I'm much more about relationships and investment in people and leadership and that's what makes me tick. And, and I think if you ask any players who played for me, they related with me in that way. And in the sense that I tried to get to know them as people and help more, even more so than footballers. I tried to understand who they are as young men and then help them uncover their true quality. And once I think we were able to do that together, the football part's the easy part. And I get into this conversation with people all the time, with the people like Klopp and Guardiola. Guardiola's tactics are obviously magnificent. Yeah. Uh, he's a Cruyff head. He's a Rinos Mikel, total football guy. But at the end of the day, I think it's his personality and his ability to convince people to buy into his method, like Mourinho on his peak, like Ferguson did. Football's a simple game overcomplicated by idiots. Is football management very much about... Because you can copy tactics. We can all just watch... Well, everybody the, copies yeah, Pep, yeah, right? And, but, but why can't anyone do it the same? I know he has the money and the funding. Yeah. But it's also because... Yeah, he has a... The delivery of the message and the way your personality hits the players who are representing you. There's a, there, there's a level of dying for someone that you can go through. Like, are, are his players even that much better? Or does he buy characters based off him knowing... They will die for me because his players are that much better. So let's start there. Now, don't get me wrong. Pep does. I, I think Pep is a genius, right? And I think part of his genius is his man management. However, we know what how things work in football. But in the end, the evolution of people and coaches and leaders is their own story, right? And the best coaches can wear many hats. It's not one thing, it's everything. And and players are judging coaches with everything they do, everything they say, every move they make. I'm not again, I'm not afraid of that. I'm used to that. And and that doesn't define what we try to do as a team because not everybody needs to be happy, but what everybody needs to be is clear as to what our expectations are, what our demands are, and then the, the responsibility that we owe to each other at all moments. And the more that you're able to create that through training, through tactics, through video, through conversation, through relationships, the better your teams will be. Do you not think that player power is getting out of control now though and aided by social media? Like if you look at Manchester United, for example, that's the team that I grew up supporting and loving. As someone who's a football coach and someone who studies management, do you think that the problem with that club has actually anything got to do with the individuals who've got the job time after time? It wasn't Moyes, it wasn't Mourinho, Van Gaal, Solskjaer possibly yes, was. because it's, it's a culture that Marcus Rashford can score one league goals in 16 games, but he puts out a tweet that's so powerful because his agents and PR team got him on this whole school lunches thing that he's unsellable. And if uh, here's how I would if if the club allows players to not 
to to be more selfish than selfless and this this often has nothing to do with the actual manager this has to do with the overarching leadership of what a club is and the unity that that club shows within their leadership group if they allow room for players to be selfish then often that will be the case. That's not the case for every player, but it's easier for players to to act selfishly than it is selflessly. And think about it. Most high-achieving footballers, and now when you're talking about a place like Man U, you have to be at the highest percentage of talent and achievement. Well, I'm just saying, in theory, okay? But even still, I mean, Marcus Rashford as a talent is at the top end of the spectrum. And I'm not, and and I'm saying... You know, you can't even go 1%. You have to go 0.1% of the talent in the world of footballers that have ever played the game. You're talking about the elite of the elite of the elite. And again, if the club doesn't set the tone, and not just the manager, but the entire club, that the focus on on the team is the team, then they will, then a lot of them, not all of them, because there are some very strong characters in football and some of the best players, Erling Holland, for example, is a total character. Yeah, what was person. it like working with him? Like, but as- I'm just saying, they if, if allowed to act selfishly, they will often take that path. Why, why is he so insanely good? I know he has the physicality, but, and I've discussed this on the show before, do you think that when the father kind of doesn't fully make it and is also associated with something that, is his his most famous moment is the Roy Keane challenge. And that would be humiliating for a young child to be associated with your dad got his career ended and Keane standing over him. Do you think that he might have stored that emotion and said, I'm never going to be inferior to another footballer again? And his childhood psychology was geared towards be physical, be immovable, and never be the guy lying on the ground in an inferior team. And that's why he became a monster. Like, how is he that consistent and good and psychologically strong? Well, I would there's a few factors with Erling himself, okay? I don't know about one is genetically. Okay? He's clearly gifted in a way that that very few people are. And and that I saw immediately, the power, the strength, the the agility, the quickness, the speed. It's it's right away puts him in professional the football the ball the foot. in the top again, very small percentage. He then no he it, it didn't take a lot uh, with him to for him to understand what football was like what the professional age what the demands like how to take care of himself how to train every day how to treat your teammates like he was because of his father I think he was kind of built like this two was or three is he has he's got a magnetic personality he loves people he loves to laugh he loves to be in a team he's inherently as he's inherently selfless but he understands that scoring goals is everything right and he's committed to that but but he if you're on a team with Erling you're you're having fun okay you're he's a good lad so you know and then by the way he's also very intelligent you know like so that's another thing is it DNA is it that his father he worked with his father he watched a lot of football but he you don't have to explain things to him in five yeah, different ways how do you ways. manage him how do you manage him when it, like do, well, you, do you give him advice yeah yes you the the way that the biggest challenge i had with managing erling was giving him enough information because he could develop at such a rapid pace like he was developing at a place at a pace that I've never seen. His learning curve was incredible, and I just knew that in order to keep him mentally and in, in, in intellectually engaged, that I had to keep challenging him to to do more, to give more, and to and as young as he was at Salzburg, even there, to show in his own way to be a leader. And he 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 ate that stuff up. 
does national management that isn't the USA job at all uh, interest you? And I just say this as a fan. I'm an Irishman, as you know, and we've currently a, a vacancy for a managerial role. And if you look at the historically the best manager in the history of the Irish state, it's Jackie Charlton. And we're a country of poets and feelers and drinkers and people who like to be engaged with the person who's leading us into battle. And Jackie Charlton was the Englishman who, in a way, became Irish, and we ordained him a saint, essentially. And we've got a series of people in recently who don't really have that connectivity with the general public. Irish America has always been such a strong link. You look at John F. Kennedy and all this shit. Would the Irish job (laughs) interest you? Evan Ferguson up front. Sure. Jesse Marsh comes in sure. and we're talking about Ellis Island and we're talking about the famine sure. and you face the media and everyone's on your team. Yes. I mean, listen, it's not, I've said no to a lot of jobs over the last 10 months. And the main reason is because what I said to you earlier, I don't need to work. I love to work, but I don't need it. And, and it's because now I'm like, because of achieving in different things, I'm financially, I'm intellectually, I'm. You know, I'm I'm happy with my life, and I and I. It's nice to dedicate time to my family when I have this downtime. But what I need to do, if I if you what do I need? I need to find people that think similar to me and have similar goals and have a similar work ethic and a similar work idea. And and it's not that my way is the right way. I'm just this is my way, and these are the things that I believe in. And I'm always looking for people that can try to a sim, like can fit with me, and I can fit with them. But it must be as well. It's like anything. It's like if you achieve something in life so great, the 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 law of marginal utility. You've had the Leeds job. You've managed in the Champions League. It is also a tough re-entrance point because you now do have standards of the player you worked with, the responsibility. So you don't want to just come in and take that. I'll save you from relegation job again because you've done that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, listen. Even though the Premier League is a bigger league than the Bundesliga. My Leipzig team was much better than my Leeds team. Much better, right? I mean, not even close. But Why didn't it work at Leipzig? Listen, there were personal issues, and then there were professional issues. And and the way that it worked, I, I didn't feel right about continuing with the project there because of what was happening, again, in my personal life. And then professionally... Um, you know, we didn't have a sport director. We, I felt alone. I really, I, I just felt alone. And then I was going through some things with my wife and, and you know, so it, it just didn't feel like I, I belonged there and I didn't want, I didn't want to be there, you know, so I left. At what age did you get to where you realized things like love, family or actual companionship exceeded all these professional goals? Because you see some of these guys out managing football teams and they're so into it that you wonder, are they fucking narcissists or what's going on? Well, it is tough. I mean, I tell you, it's because the demands, it, it, for, here's how I feel. I can't speak for everybody, but I feel that I, I pour my absolute self into the job and it, at, at the detriment to my other relationships in my life often. And, and that part I don't like, but it's when the, when the stakes are high, it's the only way that you can try to create success is this full investment and, in, and in dedicating my entire intellectual energy to exactly the task at hand, which is the team. And Again, that's why I, I, I enjoy my downtime because I, I feel like I deprive my wife and my children and, and my, my life, uh, my normal life, 
And and I don't, by the way, I don't want to be famous. I don't, I don't want to, I want to be a normal guy. I want to live a quiet life with my family, with my friends. And I just want to live. I don't want to be, I don't do football. Fame is the last. Do you think some of the football managers do want to be? Everybody in football does. They love it. (laughs) What was it like being on the sideline beside a Klopp and Guardiola? Are they performing a bit in the sideline, knowing that this? Yeah, was- I mean, no, I, I, I mean, listen, they're all. Everyone has to put on a little bit of a an act. Like when you throw act. the water bottle, you know the famous. You threw the water bottle, and then you said, "They're fucking scared." It's a famous YouTube clip. <laughs> okay. They're fucking scared, and then a Leeds Norden goes, "It's your fucking job to make them not scared." Yeah. Okay. Are you performing when you're throwing the bottle, trying to connect with the fans, going, no, "I feel what you feel." No. 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 Then I'm more, I was talking to my staff and, and this was a little bit of an issue was trying to get, you know, I mean, trying to get the team to always be fearless, but I loved working with the team. Like I would never, of everything that happened at Leeds, I would never put anything other than like uh, thankfulness onto the relationships I had with those How'd you find the audience differences? Like, did you prefer the MLS kind of let's go for a, a beer no, and a hoagie or no, do you like, I, I do, lo- do you love the intensity of? Yeah, I love, I love the, inten- I mean, the best thing for me, I mean, we work hard all week and prepare and, you know, we spend countless hours at the training ground and we're looking through video and planning and analyzing and all to get to match day. And uh, like a lot of days when I'm working my ass off i'm like and again i'm depriving the rest of my life yeah. and i feel like i'm aging exponentially and did your kids the, have to go to school in leeds and stuff like that yeah 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 i mean they've always traveled with us and everywhere we've gone but you know then there's match day and so when you go and you step on that touchline and you feel the energy of the crowd this is why you do it right this is the addiction this is the problem <laughs> <laughs> without that the job is to, is totally different right so um and i you know but but you know and i love being there with a group of young men and a staff and a club and fan and, and where it means it means so much to everyone that because that's how i feel it means so much to it's me it's a rock and roll job really isn't it yeah, it's just it so built on adrenaline and just kind of personal yes. relationships yes were you ever walking down the street in Leeds and would have like confrontations with like yes would they say no you know, they, you, I, I have mash. and I would say I've had I, I don't know the exact number but it's thousands of interactions in Leeds or elsewhere and not one negative interaction not one and when well, you kept them up you would have been a hero for a few weeks or yeah time. well I mean the 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 best story I have about that is when I, I went to dinner on like Thursday night we played on Sunday or no, it was uh, Friday night. And as my wife and I were walking down the street, we had people honking on the street in Harrogate going, we're all leads, aren't we? And we're with you, coach. And like, uh. you know, and so, you know, that sense of community was great at Leeds. But again, I, I don't, that, that part, obviously the, the sense of community is amazing. But again, I'd much rather walk down the road and just go eat and sit down quietly and have a laugh with my wife and then go home. Is it strange to be involved in a sport that is just so against the actual uh, principles of where you come from in terms of the salary cap? Like, England just never got there. They clearly should have. We have developed an inequality that is just absolutely beyond belief. Uh, Man City are probably going to win four in a row. They just want to treble. Newcastle can just buy themselves into a position. Um, Girona are top of La Liga. They're owned by the City Club. PSG monopolise that league. Um, do you think that without the salary cap, the fans are just kind of watching a repetitive conveyor belt of money 
wasting our time and falling for Carragher and Neville selling us this ridiculous concept of competitiveness that doesn't really exist. Well, and how about now, and then they want to create a Super League. Yeah. <laughs> so, listen, I'm from, I've been watching football my whole life, right? I'm familiar with the structure, the infrastructure. I'm familiar with how things work. But yes, I find it, in terms of being a fan, I find it uninteresting in that sense. Like, I, I do love... Who do you support? I've never really supported. I mean, I watched Milan when I AC Milan, the be- Saki era. Yeah, because that's what was that's what I could get on my rabbit ears television yeah, yeah, yeah. when I was young. In England, Leeds, still, do you still kind of root? Do you hope Leeds go up and have a soft yeah, spot yeah, for I Leeds? Hope Leeds go up absolutely for the for the sake of those those lads on the team, and I know how important it and is. And would you have studied Leeds? Like, would you know who David Batty is and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, and listen, if if I wasn't sure, I I received like over fifty. Leeds books from fans while I was there. And you hate United because you were the Leeds manager. Because Leeds and United hate <laughs> each other. While I was at Leeds, I, you know, I never had the chance to play Man U. Yeah. So uh, they they sacked me right before we were supposed to yeah. play them two times in a row. And I was really looking forward to that. There's For me, there's nothing better than Because Darby it would have also given you a chance to save yourself. Because if you oh. beat United or got a yeah, result, though, you're, you're immortalized. And maybe that's why they sacked me. <laughs> yeah. <For fuck laughs> yeah. No, but um, I, I, there's no better... I, like. But you I, hate United I, as, the, as the former leader. Yeah, I mean... So you wouldn't take the United job if offered? No, not right now. But in life. But I, I won't be offered the United no, job. No, but let's just say the <laughs> next job you got was brilliant. You created a structure in Manchester United. We're looking out for the person who'd mastered. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It, 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 that's, that's some sort of fictitious world. But but in general, at Leeds, we, we, we knew that wearing red, anything red... Man U, when we'd watch Man U, we'd cheer against them. This is built into the identity of the club, no question. What's the favorite moment of your career? Is it kind of Montreal Impact early days, or is it actually just like the first Leeds win, the last minute winners? Because you got into a habit of late winners, didn't you? I think it might be that. I mean, there's the, the, the Liverpool match in Salzburg. There's winning my first trophy in New York, right? We won the Supporters' Shield. Um, in Did you beat Liverpool at Salzburg, though? No, we lost. Yeah, 4-3. Yeah, yeah. But a remarkable game. It was an amazing game. And then, um, you know, there. And then there's the Norwich win at. It's got to be Brentford that last day. Brentford was f- fucking insane. That the feeling of, I've never. I I would say that day I've never felt a sense of success, because I tell you, that team, those players, those people, that club, that team was defeated when I showed up. They were done. They were, and I, I tell you, the day that I stepped in front of the team and I looked at the looks on their faces, I thought my first thought was, what did I get myself into? Because it was a much more difficult proposition, being more intimate with the situation than I would have thought from myself. How did you interview for Leeds? Like, the, the, what happens? You just get an email, a call saying, we're, we're hey, Victor. or do you apply? <laughs> What what happens when the Bielsa's leaving? I think I have a CV somewhere, but I didn't send a CV. Um, Victor and I had spoken for a couple of years. He he reached out to me through a, a mutual acquaintance, and then we kind of just kind of had some initial discussions. And he was always incredibly respectful about Marcelo. Always, always, he like everyone was right. But he knew that he needed a succession plan. He knew that. You know when they say that you're you were saying that you didn't realize the players would be this fatigued, and people took it as an accusation that Bielsa was overtraining them. Uh, no, I said that. Do yes. you think that that was a mistake? Yes, like you, that was a mistake. 
You learn, you learn from the Clough Revy era. The first thing you should have done is studied the Brian Clough damned United. What yeah, yeah. happened to him when he when he inherited the Leeds job off an icon? But I, you listen, went on Talksport and I, criticized. Yeah, yeah, but I, I complimented Marcelo a thousand times, a thousand times. But the fans are sitting there going, "What because did he give you the right?" Because because I, I I respect Marcelo and I watched his football for years. When I was the national team coach, our my first. As the assistant, my the first match was against Chile and Bielsa, uh, and I studied his team then, and I studied his career, and so I had respect for him. But the, this was a, this was not even, I this was not like a, a condemning and damning and damning comment. Do you get why it was taken as that though? Well, we, the we, fans were waiting. They were. Well, he was the guy waiting. who got them up after sixteen know, years in the abyss. Of course, of course. But they were almost a lot of fans were waiting for me to. Slip up this because way. you were American or because you were inheriting Bielsa? Yeah, all of it, all of it combined, right? And I understand that, and it was a mistake, a hundred percent. And I, but it, it, it was the truth. It was the truth, right? Yeah. I mean, so it wasn't like, and I honestly, when I said it, I didn't even think of it as like, you know, I it, honestly, I didn't, I didn't even mean it as Marcelo overtrained. The, I said the team was overtrained. And they needed to be refreshed and they needed to be managed so that they could physically perform on match day. That was clear. But when you're going into a job like that, is it the kind of uh, excessive self-belief that's needed to come from learning what football is in Chicago to get a Champions League job that blinded you from knowing these guys adore BL, so they show up in his house and they chant his name. I need to be careful with this. Just look after my steady the team. I'll still keep us up but I need to nearly join the worship of Bielsa until my time comes to establish my own identity because it's no. a common mistake in football. No, they needed they needed they needed a different they needed different leadership at that time. No question. They needed they needed more support. They needed they needed more understanding of of now mentally and physically how to manage the situation so that they could equip themselves with more power and energy and belief to do the job. And that like that, and again, that's not. It, that's just what the situation was, and it was clear. It was so clear. And even, you know, of course, the players. They they appreciated everything that Marcelo did for them, right? But I think there was a lot of understanding that it had been. It had become difficult. It had been difficult to continue the process of what Marcelo was physically and mentally. The demands were yeah. so high that it became almost humanly impossible for them to continue. Are you a religious guy? I wouldn't say that I'm religious, but I'd say I'm spiritual. How do you control mental health? How do you stay giving a fuck? You invest in people so that you feel supported, which is important, right? Because a manager is a lonely job, very lonely job. And especially when it's tough, right? You can, you can go to bed at night thinking, how am I gonna get this right? But like in life in general, you know the guy you see walking down the street yeah. who has a nagging of vodka beside him who's shouting at the traffic light. What do you think happened to those people? Yeah, I think it can be a combination of things, but I think mental health is is often at the core of, of those Trauma things. that wasn't dealt with, which is just look yeah, at the draw of what kind that, of yeah, environment you were born into. People get put in difficult situations and they can't find ways out. And then they can, you know, I mean, I've had family members and people that I know that have had issues with drugs and alcohol and and mental health and and you know finding a way to support them and believe in them and show them at the most important moments do you drink yeah but i, I i'm social drinker i'm not uh i'm not a heavy like drinker. you'd rarely have a hangover no no it's been a long time do you fear the concept of dying 
Um, Are you kind of afraid of the isolation? Of- no, I don't think so. I think I'm more relish the opportunity to live and i want to you know even again if you were to go back to leipzig and my the decisions i've made in the last years have something to do with the fact that you know our sense my sense of mortality with my wife has changed and so my sense of seizing what is uh important to me has changed when did you meet your wife high school the whole i got my through. driver's license and i asked her out on a date like the next day and then what you picked her up in a in a in a old Honda. Did you beep out the front with a leather jacket on? <laughs> it was November. I may very well have had a leather jacket on. Yes. Maybe. And you just beeped out the front and say, "Get in." We're, we're, no, no, no. I was pretty nervous. I was pretty nervous. Actually, that that's probably one of the most nervous moments of my life. Was that? Day. And you've been together the entire time. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. We went to different university, and we had a little time where we decided to, to take a break, but very short time, and we've, we've been pretty loyal and with each other. What a unity. Time. So every time, in a way, you win the Austrian double or keep leads up, Kim is kind of keeping them up and winning the Austrian <laughs> double simultaneously. No question. No question. I mean, I think it's harder for the wives than it is for us because they feel like it's out of their hands, right? They're just hoping and praying that that the match or the moment goes the way that they want it to go and, and their ability to control anything is... So know, it's a full-on sharing of a life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, important? that's the way we've done it and we've always moved together and, and not everybody does that, right? But we have. But that would be a great way to avoid the existential questions as well because you're not just living for yourself and it would, yeah. it would take you out of your ego and make you think you're not that important. In fact, the wife is more so if not equally important. Well, and, and the family, right? I, I think, um, again, as footballers, we're inherently selfish, and I think I, I had the good fortune of meeting my wife early in my life because she is not that way. She's much more passionate or compassionate and and careful with relationships, which was a very important lesson for me to learn at a young age. American culture uh, v. UK culture, the accusations that Americans... Uh, kind of are overly extroverted, uh, delusional, and kind of cheesy would be the term. It's something I don't agree with. I believe that enthusiasm and ability to kind of present your genuine personality is actually a higher form of humor than the drive. I mean, you know, you go to you go to different cultures. Germany is different than Austria. It's different than England. It's different than the U.S., right? Now I live in Italy, and that, that culture I'm learning from and, and enjoying I didn't I do know that English people have dry wit, right? I didn't really attribute that entirely to some inherent pessimism which I think exists in this country. And almost like, you know, like I get it when they see maybe someone who is positive, they don't believe that that's really yeah. possible. But again, I this is who I am and this is the way I think and th- and I and by the way I don't think I'd be where I've Do you think the pessimism been. is a defensiveness? I don't know. I don't know. I mean obviously sometimes there can uh, we all have insecurities and the, and unearthing what those insecurities are and how to deal with them and maybe we deal Americans we deal with our insecurities by being overly positive. That is possible, right? Yeah. And I, and Land I understand. Free, that. home of the brave, man. I, God bless it. I, I love know, it. but but I mean Bar the war crime I mean, shit. I pretty much love that country. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, we have plenty. Do you of, vote red or blue? I vote blue. You're not Republican? No. But uh, I I probably am more independent. I would say I'm maybe, I've become over time a little bit more fiscally conservative, but socially, 
liberal. Did the wokeism stuff begin to piss you off after a while in the last? I mean, let's I say just any years. extremism for me it doesn't always make yeah. sense. I'm and not that I'm always looking to be the middle of the road, but I'm just trying. We're not if it's a democracy and trying to figure out how to serve the masses, then that's a kind of my that's where my attention goes. Yeah, who's your favorite president since you've been alive? Clinton? Maybe, but I thought Obama, probably Obama, but um, but there were things that I thought uh, Ronald Reagan was really good at, um, and then, you know, there's... The war been, on drugs and all that stuff, though, I mean, what's... Yeah, but I mean, his his was his was a lot about fiscal responsibility, right? And it, it created, I think, a, a movement, uh, an economic movement in, in the United States that was... That was helpful and necessary that and that's time. another thing about Americans they believe in individuality this concept of freedom like although everyone accuses them of kind of flag saluting in a way being your own person not relying on the government and choosing your own journey is much more popular than it is here in the UK Ireland or places like this yeah this- I think so well I think that our, our our system our economic system is built in many ways for that for there to for for people to be aggressive with you know, creating businesses with with innovative ideas, with rewarding that through through business, right? So, um, and yeah, I think we're taught that we're taught that at a young age that in you know the land of the free, the home of the brave, like you said, we can do anything, and we can if you put your mind to it that you can achieve anything, and we somehow we that propaganda and we believe. <laughs> and just do it quickly. The all time eleven of players you've managed. A lot would be Salzburg, but I would go. Bradley Wright Phillips, Erling Holland, Dominic Schobelschlei, Sasha Kleschen, uh, Rafinha. Lloyd, Lloyd Sam. Rafinha. Uh, yeah, I mean, but Rafinha, I, I, I didn't spend enough, I didn't have enough time with him. Um, uh, Liam Cooper. Calvin Phillips? I like Calvin a lot, but probably not my best 11. Tyler Adams. Um, Kamar Lawrence. Um... Pete Gulashi, Max Vuber, Rasmus Christensen. That's, I think, about 11. In 2026, the world is coming together for the final test to see if the greatest country in the world can mesh with the greatest sport in the world. And that's why Messi's there, and that's why Beckham's handing him the Ballon d'Or, dancing in the kitchen, and his wife. In a way, it is a celebration of capitalism. Everyone's going to be pulled out for that. The major cities are hosting it. 2026, the U.S. World Cup is going to be football's big goodbye before it eventually admits it's no longer for the people. Surely the U.S. men's national team job with the players they have now, the golden era, so to speak, would be a dream. I know you can't say because someone's currently yeah, in the Yeah, no, I, I don't want to say that about anybody's in a job, but of course, coaching a national team is amazing. Um, and I was part of it as an assistant, and we we loved every day. So, But, I yeah, again, I, I'm... I'm I'm less drawn to this notion of, uh, and more thinking about who are the people involved and what would it be like to work with them and how could we create success together. And if I can find that, then that's what I'll do. Jesse Marsh, I hope you've enjoyed being on the Michael Anthony Show and I've uh, really enjoyed talking to you. Right on, brother. Thank Thanks. you, mate. All the best. Good job. Good job. You don't mess around. It's been now many years, my boy. You still don't know my chairs of joy. No need to go, just take it slow. And have you heard the Michael Anthony show? Thank you.
Alright 